Welcome to Meditatio Podcast brought to you by WCCM. I'm Leonardo and this is our March edition. In this program we are going to talk about Father Lawrence's talk at Ash Wednesday in the Meditatio Center in London, a session on poetry and meditation by Reverend Malcolm Gate, an interview with Greg Ryan on the book The ABCs of Thomas Merton, a monk at the heart of the world. Thanks for downloading and I hope you like it. Hello my friends. In the very first day of March, Ash Wednesday, Father Lawrence Freeman delivered a talk on the theme Beginning Land at the Meditasa Center in London. As usual, the talk was webcast live and you can watch the full content at wccm.org. So we're going to listen out to a piece of this talk. So let's end uh, the meditation with this uh, short um, reading from John Main, which is very relevant to our theme for Ash Wednesday. He says, the experience of sin is the experience of self-centeredness, being locked into oneself as a monad, an isolated being and living the nightmare of finding only distorted images of this illusion wherever we look and in whoever you meet. Conversion, or metanoia, metanoia is the, the Greek word that we translate as repentance or repent. Uh, Jesus says, uh, turn around. It means literally for the mind to turn around, to see things from a different angle. So conversion of mind or metanoia are both words that express the dynamic that liberates us from this nightmare and summons us to wakefulness to the pure light of day. They both express the positive, decisive, other-centeredness of penance in its dynamic of turning from self-obsession and self-analysis. Authentic conversion is discovering our center not in ourselves, but beyond ourselves in God. There is another kind of negative penance, which is a downward spiral of self-obsession and self-analysis. But authentic conversion is discovering our center in ourselves, not just that, but beyond ourselves in God. So that's really uh, what I'd like to say as a, as a kind of a commentary, really, on that. But uh, looking at it particularly today in the light of uh, the journey of meditation that we are beginning or we are re-beginning uh, today. I met a, uh, an Indian Hindu woman today who told me that um, she always observes Lent. She fasts every day during Lent. So I said, oh, are you, are you not a Christian? She said, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Hindu. But I love, Ma I love Mother Mary and Jesus. And uh, she's attracted to this, uh, this, this discipline or this practice of observing Lent uh, because she said, not because I've done anything wrong, 
or I'm a bad person, I don't think that. But uh, she said, because uh, it, it, she said, it helps me from becoming bad. And she said, it, it feels purifying and uh, refreshing to me, both physically and, but most important, mentally and spiritually. So I think uh, I, was, I was impressed by the, the, both the directness and the enthusiasm and the, her insight into what the, the time of penance that we associate with Lent is supposed to be about. The Meditation Center in London had a day on the team looking at how poetry can deepen the meditation experience, led by Reverend Malcolm Gaty in the 18th of March. Let's listen to a short piece of one of the talks. So, uh, I've been asked to reflect really with you on poetry and prayer and meditation and how those are woven together. And uh, I'm going to draw on uh, some poems from my most recent book, Parable and Paradox, uh, which contains, among other things, a, a cycle of 50 sonnets on the sayings of Jesus. And I was born to write these really because I just felt the, almost the problem or the question of the familiarity or over-familiarity. One sort of thinks, oh, I know the kind of thing that's in the Gospel and I know the kind of thing that Jesus says. And it, you hear familiar words or you say the Lord's Prayer and it just kind of washes over you. Um, I had been working on a book uh, uh, about the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and um, Coleridge uh, has a beautiful thing about poetry where he says that one of the things that poetry can and should do is to awaken the mind's attention to the richness and the wonder in front of it, and to remove what, and these are Coleridge's words, to remove the film of familiarity which our selfishness and solicitude has cast like a kind of pall over the world. Um, so uh, it seemed to me that if poetry could awaken the mind's attention to the extraordinary mystery of the world itself, that the God itself has made, then it might also do that for some of the over-familiar words, that the film of familiarity could be removed. So that's what I endeavoured to do in, in the book, uh, Parable and Paradox. So, um, for the poems that I want to look at today, which might restore to us or return to us a sense of coming to a brink and entering into the mystery of, God, of Jesus' teaching, um, I thought I would look uh, in, in John's Gospel, in particular, to look at the sequence of sayings, which uh, biblical scholars refer to as the I am sayings. There are seven so-called I am sayings, um, where Jesus startlingly, we need to be startled again. He doesn't say, um, oh, I might remind you of, or you know, I'm vaguely analogous to bread. <laughs> he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the way. Extraordinary, powerful thing. But, so they're called the I Am Saints, and there are seven of them. And they're paralleled in John's Gospel by another group of seven, which are 
where he has, says, I am, but he doesn't add anything else. He just says, as we'll see in one we're looking at the moment, before Abraham was, I am. The woman at the well says, when Messiah comes, he will explain it. He goes, I am he. Now, the reason why that I am is so significant and is not just like, I'm vaguely like, is uh, there's a clue for us in the Greek in the, in, when these seven sayings, I am the bread and so on, and the other seven uh, occur. Um, the clue in the Greek is that in the Greek it, it says, it's the Greek of John's gospel, it says, ego eimi. Now, sort of to cut to the chase, Greek being an inflected language, it's a bit like Latin, you can say, you don't have to add I am. If you say ego, it means I am. You know, but you can emphasize. But if you go ego eimi, it means a bit more. Now, the really startling thing, and this is really so startling that one has to get one's mind around it, is that um, that particular way of saying I am, almost in capital letters, ego eimi, has an echo back into the Old Testament. You may know that the, the, the words of the Old Testament, the great the, the law and the prophets, had itself been translated into Greek, um, so that the Jews in the diaspora, who didn't necessarily have Hebrew as their first language, could read the scripture in the translation, although they might then send Hebrew phrases as well. And of course, when we look back into the Old Testament, I am, specially emphasized in capital letters, has a huge resonance. You can listen to the talks of this day on poetry and meditation uh, through a link that I, I'm going to put at the description of this podcast. Our next subject is the book The ABCs of Thomas Merton by Gregory Ryan and Elizabeth Ryan. This is uh, a, a children's book uh, on Thomas Merton um, and the description says it's an invitation for children to learn about the world's most famous monk and hermit. So I'm going to listen now to an interview with uh, Greg Ryan on this book. I first um, got in touch with Father John actually after having read Thomas Merton for a few years. And uh, Merton's secretary sent me a transcript of Father John's retreat talks down there at Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky in uh, the 70s, late 70s. And uh, I remember sitting down and reading those straight through and was thunderstruck by them, really, and immediately wrote to Father John up in Montreal, and uh, that was 1978. And uh, we corresponded, and I started receiving the newsletter from up there. And uh, then in 1981, I visited with him and became an oblate novice of the community. And then in 1982, returned in the summer and uh, made my final oblation there. Uh, and I had been writing little things about Merton. Actually, the first thing I wrote about Merton was about Father John and uh, his impression on me and how his ideas about meditation corresponded with Merton's Uh, concepts in his book Zen and the Birds of Appetite and that was the first little thing that I published on Merton mm -hmm. and thereafter Father John and uh, Father Lawrence um, encouraged me to write more and so about 20 years ago 
book of mine that I edited of Father John's writings, uh, little little sayings of his about the New Testament uh, readings. It was called The Burning Heart at that time, reading the New Testament with John Maine. And then uh, in 2001, I published a little book for children through Medio Media called uh, My Happy Heart, the practice of, uh, of the prayer of the heart for children, and a little CD of a song that went with that. Yeah. And the, the, the Burning Heart was republished, no? With, uh, yeah, that's right. It was published with a slightly different title. Our, called Our Hearts Burned Heart Within Us. Burned Within Us, yeah, that's right, yeah. So t tell us a little bit about the, this new book, the, the ABCs of Thomas Merton. Well, it, it, has, it actually harkens back to before I had gray hair when I first started, the idea for it. Because I taught second grade for 40 years. And uh, mm -hmm. around the time I was writing about Merton for grown-ups, I thought it would be fun to write something for children. Uh, and, and I remember sitting outside our daughter's piano lesson one day. I was sitting out in the car waiting for her. And it occurred to me that here we have uh, a book by Merton called The Asian Journal, and we have a book called Zen and the Birds of Appetite. And it went from A to Z, and it clicked in my head that, uh, you know, he, his thought really ranges the gamut of from the letter A to the letter Z. So I remember having a little notepad with me, and I started taking some notes and, and thinking about that. And Liz is an artist. My wife Liz is a watercolorist. Uh, So we, we kind of teamed up and started putting that together from uh, Merton's, um, Thomas Merton from A to Z. Mm. Now that was, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the secret, that was 30 years ago <laughs> when we first started the idea. And uh, in those days you would send out a manuscript by postal mail and you would wait for weeks and weeks and then send it out again for weeks and weeks. And we had a couple of nibbles which didn't really pan out. And it sat on the shelf. And we'd occasionally pull it off the shelf and put it back again. But two summers ago, and, uh, we dusted it off and digitized the, the illustrations and retweaked the text and sent it out. And sure enough, we cast our bait in the first one. We hooked into a publisher, and we've been delighted ever since. Mm -hmm. So you, <laughs> you, had, you had the illustrations already, everything ready. You just need this, <laughs> this yeah. last Yeah, we modernized, yeah. modernized it, so to speak. Yeah, we digitized the images and... So I had to learn how to do that so that they were high-res graphics. and The book, I just saw the, the cover you sent me. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, it's really going through each topic and, and illustrate that, is it? Yeah. Yeah, like A starts with Abbott, uh, tells about Merton's Abbots, and then B goes to St. Benedict and bread, that they live by the bread of the work that they do and the bread for the altar that they share in community and goes through Cowell and Dalai Lama. So it goes through all the people and places that were important to Merton and uh, in general about the monastic life, you know, about community life and what it's like in a monastery and um, the people, like I say, the people who, were, who meant something to him, Gandhi, the Dalai Lama, um, Martin Luther King Jr. So it touches on those topics as well, race relations, peace, nonviolence, the importance of prayer, the importance of community, uh, Uh, meditation, I get a little commercial at the end of the book giving the address for the WCCM so that people know where to go for that. <laughs> um, and uh, is it to be in the Amazon or only in the US? Yeah, yeah it will be available on Amazon, that's right, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We hope people will find it there. We're, we're having, we started a little blog for it as well. People will be able to go to a blog and um, see comments that people have made about the book. We'll put, we'll put little uh, images from the book. We also have 
the idea for some activities to go with the book for us, so that if teachers or catechists or parents or grandparents want to further the uh, further the experience of the book, they'll be able to print out little activity sheets to go with the book. So thank you very much, and uh, when the book is launched, we can publicize more. And that would be great. I'm so happy to speak to you, Leo, and your listeners. And good luck to you, and God bless. Before I finish, I'd like to remind you about some upcoming events in our community. The Bear Island Holy Week Retreat will be held in Bear Island from 9 to 16th of April. This retreat will be live webcast as usual. In June, from 24 to 1st July, we will have the Monte Oliveto Retreat. This is also other uh, traditional retreat uh, in Siena, Italy and the John Main Seminar, led by Bernard McGinn, will be held in Houston, Texas, from 10 to 13th of August, with a pre-seminar retreat led by Lawrence Freeman. We will find all information about these events in our website wcm.org, and if you go there, you can also subscribe to the Lent Reflections by Lawrence Freeman. I recommend you also to visit the Bonvo website, that's bonvowccm.org, bonvowccm.org. As you know, Bonvo is the project of a new international home for WCCM, and there are a lot of things going on about this project. Thank you very much for listening Meditasso podcast. Bye-bye.